It's 6 p.m. and you are tuned to your community radio station, KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Monday, January 30th. I'm Kelly Reese and this is your KVMR Evening News. In today's National Native News, a look at Montana's Missing and Murdered Indigenous Persons Task Force, a state where Indigenous people are four times as likely to go missing as non-Indigenous residents. As usual, we've got your local news and weather forecast. Then, for over two decades, Circle, the South Yuba River Citizens League, has handed out an Environmentalist of the Year scholarship. KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza speaks with Daniel Elkin, the organization's Communications and Engagement Director, for the details. This is the California Report. I'm Adi Bolaños in San Francisco. San Francisco State Senator Scott Weiner plans to reintroduce legislation today that would require the largest companies who do business in California to publicly disclose their greenhouse gas emissions for the first time. KQED senior climate editor Kevin Stark reports. The bill would mandate carbon footprint reporting for corporations like Chevron, Pepsi, Amazon, or any company that generates more than a billion dollars in revenue annually. The state estimates that's about 5,500 different companies. Senator Weiner said it would put public pressure on these corporations to reduce pollution, prevent greenwashing, and give the state more insight into emissions from the private sector. He pushed a similar bill last year, which died on the assembly floor. It was opposed by the Chamber of Commerce and other groups in the financial industry. For the California Report, I'm Kevin Stark. NASA scientists have discovered there is more groundwater from the Sierra Nevada funneling into the Central Valley than previously thought. KBPR's Joshua Yeager explains why there are potentially big implications for water managers. Imagine the Sierra Nevada is the world's largest bathroom scale. Donald Argus is a NASA researcher. He says the rain that falls on mountain peaks each year is like a foot stepping on the scale. So we're measuring how much water is gained and lost in California. So what does Argus's bathroom scale tell us about the water supply? So it looks like there's more recharge and more emptying of the water for irrigation than we had previously thought. In other words, it's a wash, Argus says. More water coming in, more water going out. But there's a catch to all of this. It can take decades for that water to flow from mountain peaks to aquifers deep below the valley floor. It doesn't get to the Central Valley right away. We we think that it takes 10 years or 100 years to make that long path. But that data is important information. The Sierra Nevada's mere presence is slowly helping recharge overtapped aquifers in the face of drought. For the California Report, I'm Joshua Yeager. This month, California issued first-in-the-nation safety guidelines for employers of domestic workers, people like cleaners, nannies, and caregivers who have historically been excluded from occupational health and safety laws. But advocates say California is taking the first step to right that wrong, as KQED's labor correspondent Rarida Javala-Romero explains. About a week after the massive 2017 wildfire tore through parts of Santa Rosa, Socorro Diaz got a call from one of her clients. They asked her to clean their home, still standing in an otherwise incinerated neighborhood. When she arrived, she found the house full of ash. After days of handling and breathing that all in, without a proper mask or gloves, she says her skin itched. 
Her head hurt. Her nose bled. Era el olor como tóxico. Era el olor dañino. Entonces... Diaz says she doesn't fault her employers. She figures they didn't know about the dangers. In California, domestic workers fall into a legal loophole. Workplace safety and health regulators say that under the labor code, they have jurisdiction over most workers, except for household domestic service. More than 350,000 mostly immigrant women are not legally protected at their place of work. UC Santa Barbara professor Eileen Boris has written history books about domestic workers. She says there's a couple of reasons they're often excluded from these laws at the federal level and in most states. First was the legacy of slavery in which women of African descent were defined as domestic workers and did not need to be paid. Second, that this is considered work that it's the obligations of wives and mothers and daughters, so why should it be paid or considered worthy work? Boris hires a house cleaner herself, and she's one of the employers who participated on a statewide committee, including workers and experts, that developed official safety guidelines for the home as a workplace under a new law. These are not anti-employer guidelines. These guidelines are to make a safe home space for all who live or work within. The guidelines recommend employers not ask domestic workers to clean ash from wildfires, fix the roof, or do any work that requires specialized equipment or training. Also, to label toxic substances in a language the worker understands and provide protective gear, like heavy-duty gloves, when necessary. But these best practices are voluntary. In 2020, Governor Gavin Newsom vetoed a bill that would have required the state to extend occupational health and safety protections to domestic workers. In his veto message, Newsom argued the proposed legislation would be too onerous for home employers. People feel that this is going to be burdensome, that their home is their private world, that the government has no right to be in their home. But advocates say the guidelines are only a good first step to make domestic worker protections equal to those of everybody else. That's the aim of new legislation Los Angeles State Senator Maria Elena Durazo plans to introduce. We have to adjust. We can't be living, you know, in the past. And this is definitely a legacy of slavery. Durazo is confident this bill will pass with the voluntary guidelines as a building block. For the California Report, I'm Farida Javala Romero. Support for the California Report comes from Hint. Fruit-infused water in over 25 flavors like watermelon, pineapple, and blackberry. No sweeteners, no calories, in stores or delivered from drinkhint.com. Stanford Healthcare, alerting listeners to the critical blood shortage in the area. Now is the time to donate blood and make a difference. StanfordBloodCenter.org and Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Futures, which bets early on exceptional people making the world better, on the web at SchmidtFutures.com. California novelist Julie Otsuka is the winner of this year's Andrew Carnegie Medal for Excellence in Fiction. Her novel, The Swimmers, follows the relationship between a swimmer in the early stages of dementia and her daughter. Otsuka from Palo Alto tells Fresh Air's Terry Gross that the woman in her novel shares the same disease as her own mother. When I actually began to write my first novel, she was in the early stages of her dementia. And because her 
childhood memories are fairly accurate for a while. I, I could ask her a lot of questions and then at a certain point I could not. The award recognizes the best books for adult readers in partnership with the American Library Association. And that's the California Report for Monday, January 30th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Adi Bolaños. Thanks for listening and have a great day. Indigenous people are four times as likely to go missing in Montana than non-Indigenous residents. And the state ranks fifth in the country for total missing and murdered Indigenous women. Today's National Native News looks at a bill to renew essential funding for the state's Indigenous missing persons cases. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. A bill to renew funding for Montana's Missing and Murdered Indigenous Persons Task Force recently passed through the Appropriations Committee in the state legislature. The task force was created in 2019, but was set to expire in June. Montana Public Radio's Ellis Julen reports. According to research from the U.S. Department of Justice, Montana is the fifth highest state in the country for total missing and murdered Indigenous women. And despite only being 7% of the total population in the state, 26% of missing persons cases are Indigenous people. Representative Tyson Runningwolf, a member of the Blackfeet Nation, is the bill's sponsor. Addressing the committee, Runningwolf said the work of the MMIP task force is ongoing and crucial for addressing this issue in Montana. I'm not realizing it until I'm standing up here now that this is what it means to be fighting for our women and children and our loved and missing people. The task force was set to expire this year, but the bill would fund it through the biennium. This bill also includes funding for one full-time employee to help facilitate the work of the task force and funding for the Looping in Native Communities Grant Program, which supports tribes' efforts to identify, report, and find Native American persons who are missing. For National Native News, I'm Ellis Julin. Opening ceremonies for the Arctic Winter Games got underway in Alberta, Canada Sunday night. The Games have brought more than 2,000 athletes and coaches from seven Arctic nations together to compete in winter sports like cross-country skiing, curling, and hockey, as well as traditional games. Alaska, which represents the United States, sent more than 200 athletes to compete. They range in age from 11 to 19. My team is really great. They're really supportive, and it's really fun to skate with them. Teamwork is a big part of Josephine Leonard's Alaska Native culture, a skater of Yupik and Chupik heritage. She's excited about the chance to compete with other Indigenous athletes. After watching past competitions, she's paying a lot more attention to her technique. How I swing my arms, how low I am, how aerodynamic I am, how I drive my knees, how I cross over around the corner, all that stuff. Leonard is 13 and hopes to bring home an ulu, a metal shaped like a carving knife. They come in gold, silver, and bronze. John Monroe, the coach for the Alaska Speed Skating Team, is not sure they'll bring home any ulus. He says the competition will be tough to beat, partly because the pandemic cut into their training. Also, teams from other countries like Canada get more financial support. But Monroe says there's more involved in the games than just winning. What has been good to see is that their competitive spirit is super high and they they don't know how good they're going to do, but they're going to have fun. The games are held every other year, but there has not been one in five years due to the pandemic. Alaska is slated to host the next round of games. 
On Tuesday, the Cherokee Nation will unveil plans for an addiction treatment center to be built in Tahlequah, Oklahoma. Construction of the $18 million project will start this year. Plans include a main treatment center with separate dorms for men and women. Tribal leaders will detail more mental health plans under the Public Health and Wellness Fund Act, which will be signed into law during the event. It will provide $73 million to construct facilities across the reservation over the next five years to meet behavioral health service needs and provide $5 million in scholarships to encourage more Cherokee citizens to enter behavioral health fields. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by the American Indian College Fund, providing millions of dollars of scholarships to Native students every year. Applications are accepted through May 31st at collegefund.org or by phone at 800-766-FUND. A historical master trauma class taught by Dr. Ruby Gibson and staff provides tuition-free online training to tribal members who are therapists, counselors, social workers, and traditional healers. Enrollment deadline is March 24, 2023 at freedomlodge.org who support this show. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. Now let's take a look at your local news. A practicing Sikh man who accused the Sutter County Sheriff's Office of inadequately investigating a pair of racist hate crimes has been awarded a $25,000 judgment after suing the county and two deputies in federal court. Rubel Clare, a retiree in the community of Sutter, west of Yuba City, told the Sacramento Bee he was making a routine trip to a convenience store in May of 2021 when a woman threatened to ram him with her car while shouting racial slurs at him. That same afternoon, Claire caught a different woman, chalk in hand, writing slurs in front of his home and on his driveway. Claire further alleged in a civil lawsuit that unnecessary delays in inaction by Sutter County Sheriff's deputies assigned to the case resulted in prosecutors declining to pursue charges in the parking lot incident. It was announced today that the case had been resolved with a judgment in Claire's favor. Federal court records show the judgment was handed down against Sutter County and two Sutter County Sheriff's deputies in August, awarding Claire $25,000 plus legal fees. The court case remained active until this month due to the involvement of a fourth defendant. The alleged perpetrator of the parking lot threats identified in court documents as Sarah Hollis. Claire and Hollis agreed to handle the issue using the court's Voluntary Dispute Resolution Program. Quote, This is a step forward for my own peace of mind, but more importantly, it will hopefully help to ensure that nothing like my experience ever happens to anyone in Sutter County again. It is the responsibility of our law enforcement officials to take all crimes and threats seriously, and accountability is essential when they do not live up to that standard, Claire wrote in a public statement released today. 
Wednesday, February 1st, Nevada County's Office of Emergency Services will issue a countywide test of their emergency alert notification system, Code Red. The opt-in service notifies residents during emergencies. You can receive alerts as texts, emails, on your landlines, or as several other options. Wednesday's test is scheduled to run in phases throughout the day beginning at 10 a.m. Nevada County's Office of Emergency Services Program Manager, Paul Cummings, will sit down with the KVMR News Team Tuesday for more information about the Code Red test. Be sure to tune in to tomorrow's newscast at 6 p.m. to hear the interview. Nevada County residents can register for Code Red Alerts online at readynevadacounty.org slash emergency alerts by texting readynevadacounty to 99411 or by calling 211 Connecting Point. Turning our attention to your local weather forecast from the National Weather Service, cool and dry weather is expected through midweek. Chances of precipitation return at the end of the week. Low temperatures have settled in and Nevada County's cold weather shelter is open tonight. The shelter, which is located at the Veterans Hall on North Pine Street in Nevada City, opened at 4.30 p.m. and accepts guests until 8 p.m. The shelter closes at 7.30 a.m. each morning. For those in Grass Valley and Nevada City, tonight clear with a low around 29 degrees. Tuesday, sunny with a high near 52. In Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight mostly clear with a low around negative 1. Tuesday, sunny with a high near 37 degrees. The National Weather Service warns of dangerous mountain wind chills and bitterly cold temperatures for the Truckee Tahoe region. Overnight lows tonight could be the coldest some locations have seen in 5 to 10 years. Preparations should be made to protect vulnerable populations and pets from these temperatures. It's also a good idea to make sure your pipes are protected from the cold. Wind chills may reach negative 20 to negative 35 degrees tonight in the high Sierra. In these conditions, exposed skin could rapidly see frostbite. The NWS recommends staying indoors. And in Sacramento and Woodland, tonight clear with a low around 32 degrees. Tuesday, sunny with a high near 55. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR. Founded four decades ago to protect the South Yuba River from dams, the South Yuba River Citizens League wants to foster the next generation's environmental stewardship. The organization is gearing up for their annual scholarship announcement. Who's eligible? What are the deadlines? And how do you apply? KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza has all those answers and more up ahead. Circle, the South Yuba River Citizens League, is now accepting applications for the 2023 Environmentalist of the Year Award. The award is an extension of the work that Circle does throughout the watershed in order to educate and unite the community around the common purpose of protecting and preserving the Yuba River. I caught up with Daniel Elkin. He's the communications and engagement director for the league, and I asked him to give me a little bit of background. Well, we started uh, this scholarship in 2002, so we're on our 21st year now, and we've offered it because... You know, we believe here at Circle that um, sort of educated stewards are our most effective stewards. And so we strive to empower, engage, and collaborate with the local youth and learning communities in order to 
make sure that that our legacy lives on in terms of environmental stewardship. And so this scholarship is designed to go to a graduating senior who is pursuing a degree in the environmental field. And that could be the science aspects or advocacy or education or technology or sustainability or or anything really that has to do with an environmental field. The scholarship is $4,000, $1,000 distributed each year for four years. Here's Daniel again, explaining the requirements. First and foremost, students need to be a resident of Nevada County, Yuba County, or Sierra County. Uh, They need to have a minimum of a 3.0 GPA, and they've had to have demonstrated a clear commitment to pursue uh, an environmentally related degree. Um, We we kind of give preference to people who have volunteered with Circle before, but you don't need to have volunteered with Circle before if you've just sort of demonstrated that you've been a leader in your community around environmental ideas, whether that be extracurricular activities or creating a a club at your school or any sort of other environmental volunteerism, um, that would suffice. If you're interested, you should apply soon. The deadline is just four weeks away. The deadline to apply is February 24th, and uh, students can fill out an application at our website, and they'll also need two letters of recommendation Uh, one of which needs to be from a teacher, coach, or mentor. Daniel says that anyone with questions should call the Circle office. The best way to get those questions answered is to contact uh, Circle's River Education Manager. Her name is Monique Strait, and you can give her a call at 530-265-5961, extension 218, or you can email her at monique at yubariver.org. The nonprofit's pretty busy with its annual Wild and Scenic Film Festival this year, which will be the 21st. But once that's done, they're going to be hosting a quiz night to help raise funds for the scholarship. We do an annual quiz night. Um, This year we're doing it on March 18th. And the purpose of quiz night is to raise funds for this scholarship, for the Environmentalist of the Year scholarship. Um, And if you are interested in being part of quiz night, uh, certainly check out our website, yubariver.org, and uh, we'll be announcing all sorts of information about that shortly after we're done with the Wild and Scenic Film Festival. That was Daniel Elkin, Circle's Communications and Engagement Director. Students who are interested in the 2023 Environmentalist of the Year Award should apply at yubariver.org or call 530-265-5961, extension 218, for more information. That's our newscast for Monday, January 30th, 2023. Visit us online at kvmr.org and connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. KVMR gets support from generous listeners like you and... Four Paws Animal Clinic. Dr. Susan Murphy and Sue Lester and staff are proud to support KVMR, providing medical, dental, alternative, and surgical services for cherished companions. On Searles Avenue, Nevada City, fourpawsac.com. And Ubidox Urgent Care, since 2000, providing walk-in medical and urgent care, accepting most insurance. 
Open 8 to 6 Monday through Friday, 9 to 5 Saturdays and holidays. Located in the Fowler Center, Grass Valley, ubadocs.com. The KVMR Evening News is produced by KVMR News Director Claudio Mendonca. As always, thanks for tuning in. I'm Kelly Reese, signing off. Join us Tuesday at 6 for another edition of the KVMR Evening News.